excited. Let me pray for all of us. Dear Heavenly Father, we just ask, Holy Spirit, come and dwell within this place. God, we pray that we are all filled with your Spirit and we can feel it. Lord, we pray for strength, health, and wisdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ooh. January 15th. 1967, the American Football Conference had its champion, the Kansas City Chiefs. The National Football Conference had their champion. Does anyone know? The Green Bay Packers. Now, at the beginning of the year, the NFL said, the National Football League, for those of you who don't know, said, we want to have the two conferences play each other. And we're going to call this the... Super Bowl. Now, the Green Bay Packers went on to win the first Super Bowl and then the second Super Bowl. And they honored their coach, Vince Lombardi, by naming the Super Bowl trophy after him. And ever since 1967, that trophy has been sought by all, I think there's 28 teams now. 32 teams. I wasn't counting like Tampa Bay and <laughs> the Raiders. And honestly, it, and all honesty, it's become a huge part of American culture, there's no doubt. Every year, almost a hundred million people, I mean that number you can't even get your head around, a hundred million people tune in to watch the Super Bowl. Now, some of them tune in because they want to watch their team. Now, my team, the Detroit Lions, <laughs> all right, my team, they got cheated. You can't pick up a flag after you've thrown it, ref. If you guys watch football, you understand that. Some of them watch the football, be, the, the Super Bowl, excuse me, because their, their team is in it. Now, we have, I guarantee, some American Football Conference champion New England Patriots fans. Do we have some Patriots fans here? Raise your hands. All right, well, we have maybe one or two. Just stare at them. Look at them. Recognize that they don't care. Their team's a whole bunch of cheaters. <laughs> All right, what about the National Football Conference champions? What do we got, some Seahawks fans here? Ooh, I get it. It's a little closer to Hawaii. <laughs> Raise your hands. I want to see this. I want to see some of those Seahawks fans. All right, now everyone else stare at them. Now let's judge them. Just like three years ago, they hired a coach that was like kicked out of college football for cheating. No big deal. Got some cheaters in the Super Bowl. There's other people who like to tune in to watch the game or just go be a part of it, like my wife. I, she says she liked football when we were dating. I don't think so. I, I think that was just a ploy. But she did like hanging out with people. My in-laws, they have this like great TV room with great speakers and a good TV and we watch San Francisco 49ers games and, and uh, my wife though, she likes just to go for the food and the fellowship, I think, which is cool. Some of us do that. And there is a small minority and what I'm finding out is actually it's kind of a majority that tune in to watch the Super Bowl for commercials, right? 
good, because the last two services were all like cheering, and I'm like, what? No, ain't no one like TV timeouts. Some of you probably don't even know. They time out the game so they can play commercials. That's weird. Anyway, they do it a lot in the Super Bowl. And commercials have become so popular in the Super Bowl that companies pay millions and millions of dollars to make the commercial, then another, and then more millions and millions of dollars to play the commercials. And the last two years, they actually have a, 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 a ranking system. They have the own, their own Super Bowl for commercials. What is the best Super Bowl commercial? The last two years, it's gone to a company named Budweiser. All right. Now, Budweiser doesn't do anything with their drink or their beverage, beer. What they do is they, they have these this giant Clydesdales, right? There's giant horses with like feathers on their feet. Now, I've never seen one in Hawaii, but I've seen them in real life before back in the mainland. And they're monstrous. They're beautiful animals. And then they, they ploy off with this other, this other little Labrador dog. Now, it's been a puppy for like three years now. <laughs> so it must be a new Labrador. But it's a dog. And they sell their product not by their product. They sell it by something that's relevant and important to the audience. So we have the 2015 Budweiser commercial. We're going to play it right here. by saying in no way are we endorsing this company. <laughs> it's interesting to me though how they, the title of this is called Best Buds. Now it's a play off their name of the company but also buddies as in like friendships. And the reason why this commercial resonates with so many people and might and most likely win again this year is because friendships or this buddy aspect between the horse and the dog is super important to all of us. We all care about having friends. And especially when the friends show loyalty and brave, they're brave. He's like fighting, uh, what was that, a wolf or something like that? And then there's like, they, they strive and there's perseverance and there's a commitment. We as the consumer love that. And that's what I want to talk about today. We're going through this relationship series and I have the opportunity to teach on friendships. Now, there's also a friendship between, like, the human and the dog. And uh, I have a picture of my dog. Whenever I have the opportunity to show my dog, I do. There he is. Oh, man. Woo! 
He's a looker. <laughs> you guys, I've had this dog for a long time. He's an old man. I was walking in this morning. And I love him so much. And I was just thinking, I was like, man, I just love him so much. He's so loyal to me. He never gossips about me to anyone. He doesn't talk back or anything. He's just a good dog. And I get the man's best friend. He stinks of something else, though. I'll tell you what. My in-laws can attest to that. He stinks up their house every time he goes over. But I love him. And, I, you know, when we look at this idea of friendship, I have to be honest with you, it's a huge subject. We could do like a multi-week series on friendships. And, you know, between dogs and humans. And, and we could do maybe a, a week on friendship of how to make good friends or meet good friends. Or maybe we could do a couple weeks on how to, how to break up with those friends that you should be friends with. You know what I'm talking about, right? But this morning, I don't want to address that. What I want to address this morning is how we can be better friends. Or I should say it like this, how we can be faithful friends. And I want to give you some tools for the old tool belt, or I like to call them attributes of who is or what is, excuse me, a faithful friend. Y'all follow me? I'm going to go to two stories within the Bible. The first one is in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and the second one is in the New Testament. So let's start with the Old Testament first. I have to set the scene. I believe that context is key, and it's going to help us understand the passage in way greater detail. So we'll start back with Moses. Moses was the individual that God used to bring the Israelites, this group of slaves, out of Egypt into what we now call Saudi Arabia. And when they got there, they decided to break into 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes were governed by who we call now the judges. These are people like Samson and Gideon. Y'all follow me? These people group, the 12 tribes, was looking at other cultural groups around them, though, and they've noticed that all these other people had kings. So they wanted a king. So the last judge was named Samuel, and he was more of a prophet, not so much a great warrior. And they all came together, and they said, hey, there's this one guy named Saul. Saul, he's a good-looking guy. He's big. Excuse me. He's a great warrior. He'd be a great leader. Let's anoint him as king. So the 12 tribes anointed this guy, Samuel anointed this guy, Saul, to be the king over Israel. Now at the same time, Saul had a son. His son's name was Jonathan, and his old, it was his oldest son. Now if Saul is king, this is important, and his son, Jonathan, is the oldest son, what does that make him? The heir, the prince. During this time of his rise to kingship, he started doing something that actually really made God upset. And if you want to make the God of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible upset, you just stop worshiping him and start worshiping other gods. Samuel would go to him and say, hey, we got to turn from worshiping these gods and start worshiping the, worshiping the one true God. But Saul didn't listen to him. And so God told Samuel to go anoint this little boy. His name was David. So Saul... Or excuse me, so Samuel anoints David. And at the exact same time, I know there's a lot going on, but follow me. There's a people group that was coming down and trying to take over Israel. They were called the Philistines. Back in the day during this time period, war was really, uh, and it is today, a horrible thing. 
But because there was no medicine, no medical doctors, usually disease would plague out through the, um, the militaries and kill even more people afterwards because of their wounds and such. So they came up with this actual, uh, a great way to uh, preserve a lot more life. What they would do is one military would send their best guy out, their strongest. And then the other military would send their best guy out, their strongest. And they would come down and they would meet. And whoever won was the winner. And they got that kingdom. Y'all follow me? So the Philistines were doing this to the Israelites. And they were sending this guy down called Goliath. Okay? Now at the time, Saul was the great warrior. He was the great leader, the king. And Jonathan, his son, already started rising up as a great leader, a great warrior. And neither one of them wanted to go fight this guy Goliath because he was so big. So every day, Goliath would come down, make fun of the God of Israel, taunt the Israelites, and say, oh, no one wants to follow me? Fight me, excuse me? <clears throat> David, the anointed little boy, heard about this. and said, nah. Nah. Ain't no one talk about my God like that. So he goes to Saul and says, hey, Saul, I'll fight him. Saul's like, okay, which is weird. He gives him all this armor. He's like, no, 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 I don't need all that. I just need my little sling and a couple rocks. He goes out. He sees Goliath. Goliath starts talking trash to him. He laughs. He throws a rock in his face as he says, the God of Israel is going to bring you down, bro. Hits him in the face. He falls on his face. He runs up, does something gruesome. Earmuffs for the little kids. Cuts his head off. And he brings his head back to Saul. And they're in a room, and this is the first interaction between the relationship that I want to talk about. Saul's son, Jonathan, and David. You see, Saul's son, Jonathan, saw this, and he was, he was blown away. He was wearing, um, most likely, the uh, like if, if, same as we have today, military people have all the stripes. I don't exactly know what those mean. Some generals have the stars, but they're, they're obviously decorated individuals, and Jonathan was a decorated individual. He strips down and takes off his armor and puts it on David and makes a commitment to him because he's so thankful that he took down Goliath, and that was the start of their relationship. David soon went back to his home, got his stuff, and came back and lived in the kingdom. And over a time period, Jonathan and David become best friends. They spend a ton of time together. And what ends up happening is Saul starts to realize and becomes aware that Samuel anointed him, but also is aware that, man, this David boy is good at everything. I mean, he's like a good singer, he's a good musician, he's athletic. He's like the guy every guy hates, right? He's, he's leading the armies, and he's a boy. He's a young man. Also, Saul recognizes that, you know what? My son Jonathan should be the next king, not David. And I don't want David to be a part of this anymore. And jealousy creeps in, and he tries to kill David. Now, you have to remember David, when we look at him, he's looking at Saul. He loves Saul. He's like a father figure to Saul. You know, sometimes we see this relationship. You know, David had a whole bunch of opportunities to kill Saul, but never did. He actually talks about in the, in the Bible several times, David says how much he loved Saul and how grateful he was for his kingship. Whoop! A guy that was trying to kill him. So David's mindset when this guy he loves is trying to kill him, he's broken. Y'all following that? 
And this is where we're going to pick up the text. 1 Samuel 23. One day near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan, his best friend, went to find David and encourage him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You're going to be the king of Israel and I will be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact. Some of your translations might be covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horesh. When I was studying this passage, um, this picture came up. And it's a picture of a Rembrandt picture here. And when I saw this picture at first, I thought, I thought, well, David's wearing a funny headpiece, right? Like, that's weird. Like the little feather and like the turban thing, you know? It's like, man, David, what is he doing there? And then I started to actually read about the picture. And Rembrandt, I think, captures this so well. And it helped me understand this passage way more. The guy with the funny turban and the feather is actually Jonathan. And this is the point where Jonathan, here in the text, 1 Samuel, David sees Jonathan and runs to him. And he, he just grabs him and breaks down crying. Check this out. Here are some of the tools, some of the attributes that I want to talk about this morning that I learned from the text. Here we go. Jonathan, verse 16, went to David. If we have friends that are in need, one of the things that we should do to be a faithful friend is go to them. Sometimes we have this friend that's in need and they really need someone like, like David needed Jonathan. Did you see the picture? I think it captures it perfectly. Sometimes our presence can speak more than words. When we have friends in need, it speaks so much volume when we just show up. Some of your texts might say arose and went. The first thing I just want to communicate, if you have a friend that is in need, and everyone is in need at one point in time, please go to them. Your presence is valuable. The second thing the text says, it says, he went to find David and encourage him to stay strong in his faith. This is kind of uh, obvious, you know, encouraging one another is a great thing for being a faithful friend. Building people up, not cutting them down is a great thing. But I have to say this, at the end of the text, a little bit light comes on. It says at the end, I'm going to jump to the end, it says, um, I will be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. Now this tells me that he was communicating behind David's back, Saul, my father, I have him. He is good. He is going to be the next king. And what I get from this is sometimes when we encourage people to their face and build them up, it's pretty easy to do. I heard from a Florida pastor one time, you can't encourage someone enough. But the flip side is we don't always encourage those people behind their back. Y'all follow me. And one of the second attributes that I want to talk about is let's encourage our friends. Let's be a faithful friend of encouragement to them, but also 
behind their back. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him, my father will never find you. You're going to be the king of Israel. And I will be next to you. And my father Saul is well aware of that. I was reading through this and I was just like reading like, what, what am I getting through this? And what I found was Jonathan's just speaking truth to David here. I think a faithful friend speaks truth to their friends. If they're dating someone they shouldn't be dating, you speak truth to it. If they're living a life of just complete sin, speak truth to it. Speaking truth, I think, is one of the ways that I can see who my faithful friends are. Lastly, and this is a good one, I, I really like this one. So the two men, the two of them, excuse me, renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home. This was new to me. I've never made a commitment to a friend. And it makes so much sense now that I read this. Like, hear this. Like, imagine your friend is going through something, like, something difficult, and they need you. And you make the commitment to them. You know what? I'm going to commit to you, and you verbalize this to them. I'm going to commit to calling you twice a week for the next year. What does that say to your friend? Whew, this person cares about me. This person's in the trenches with me. I mean, what if you committed to just going to mini church, your small groups, for the next year because you know that that one person in the small group needs you? You relate well to them. So you just say to them, you know what? So-and-so, I'm committing to coming to this mini church. If you come or not, I'm going to be here for you. And you let them know that. That is so helpful for me to see how I can be a faithful friend. Jonathan does a great job of being a faithful friend to David. And you know, it didn't end well for Jonathan. He goes on to battle right after this and he dies. David goes on to be king of Israel. He unites the 12 tribes and they say that they use a term called united in the monarchy. He lays the foundation. He buys the land where the Temple Mount is still today in Jerusalem. He bought that land. And today, his son's temple grounds are still there. 3,000 years later, David becomes one of the greatest leaders of all time. And you know what's interesting is when you read what David wrote that's found within the Old Testament, time and time again, he's referencing and talking about Jonathan and how Jonathan was a faithful, loving friend to him. I hope someday someone when I'm gone, writes that about me. I hope someday someone says, you know what, that Nick Love character, he poured into me. He encouraged me. He was present in my life. He spoke truth to me and he committed to me. Jonathan was a faithful friend. The second story we get is found within the New Testament about a thousand years later. We're going to jump to the gospel according to Luke, the apostle. Y'all with me still? I know some of you probably thinking about the Super Bowl. Don't. We know Seattle's going to win. Let me set the story up. 
Jesus just starts doing ministry. He's going around trying to find students. He's going around trying to find his disciples. And while he's doing that, he heals a leper, someone who has leprosy. And it blows everyone's mind. And he's teaching in ways that no one has heard anyone ever teach before. He starts getting all these people following him, wanting to see more miracles, wanting to hear him teach. So the crowds become like, like crazy crowds, like Bruno Mars just walked in the building, like crazy crowds. You can't get to Jesus anymore. And that's where I'm going to start. I actually taught this, this passage to the kids, to the youth group uh, a few weeks ago. Then the speaker taught this passage. This is a great passage about friendship, and I'm, I'm going to do it again. Here we go. Luke 5, verses 17. A lot of scripture. Here we go. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. Okay, a whole bunch there. So Jesus is at a man's house, probably eating, drinking a little bit of wine. He's teaching all these Pharisees and religious leaders, and I say this often, don't think negatively when you hear the word Pharisee or religious leader. Some of the greatest Christians to ever live were religious leaders. Paul's an example. A lot of these guys convert to Christianity later and go on to do great things for the kingdom. There's people there that want to learn, and I love that. They want to study and see what Jesus has to offer. So they show up. One thing we need to know, though, is these people are highly revered. They're like the top tier of people in this town, in this region. So they're all in front of Jesus listening to him teach. Y'all follow me? The Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus, the text says. Here's where it gets good. It's going to get exciting. Buckle in. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside of Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. Okay, there's a whole bunch going on here. First off, they said, the text says, uh, there was some men, and we know that the some there is four because the Gospel of Mark has the same story in it, and he just says four men. So we know there's four guys. We'll call them the four guys for story's sake. They were carrying a man on a mat. Now the mat most likely looked something like this. It was like a woven mat. We don't know exactly what it color scheme was. Now, this is from Target, not Jerusalem, but you guys get it. Probably a little bit longer. So they would lay mats down for their friends who were disabled, and they would carry them around that way because there wasn't wheelchairs or ways to carry people around back then. So they would carry them usually to like the city gates so that they could beg and ask for money because they couldn't do anything. Now, there was a paralyzed man on the mat. We don't know how he was paralyzed. He could have been paralyzed from disease, like polio, or he could have been paralyzed from something like an injury. All we know is that the man was paralyzed, meaning he couldn't move his limbs. Everyone following me. So we've got four guys carrying a mat with a paralyzed man on it to see Jesus. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and took off some tiles. Okay, now that's like two verses, literally it's two verses. And there's so much in that verse, two verses. Here we go. Let's call the paralyzed guy Frank. Y'all follow me. 
So we got Frank and some guys. The first thing I want to point out be the relationship between the guys and Frank is this. He was paralyzed, meaning he was unclean. During this time, the tradition was that there was something wrong with you that meant you were unclean, and that meant you could be, you could, you could give it to people. It, if it was a disease, you could catch it. But the guys, they didn't care. You know, because, and this is very, very significant because if you're unclean, you can't go into the temple to offer sacrifice. If you can't offer sacrifice in the temple, what does that mean? Your sins can't be forgiven. Y'all following me? So Frank is on the mat. He's paralyzed. And he's unclean. But his friends, the guys, they don't care. You know, sometimes if we want to be faithful friends, we have to be brave. You see, the ramifications, if they were to catch this, was, it was huge in their cultural day. Imagine if we said, you know what, you guys can't come in the door back there because you're just not, you're, you're not good. You'd be like, wait, what? Now it's the complete opposite. We're like, hey, all you that aren't good, come in the doors. Right? They were brave. They were brave for their friend. So they picked their friend up and they start working their way to over to Jesus. We don't know how far it is. Let's just say, you know, half a mile. So they're going half a mile through the town. Not an easy thing. And they get to Jesus and all of a sudden they see all these people. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute. We know Jesus is great, but we didn't know he was this great. Woo, this is crazy. So then the guys, they start thinking. They're like, well, how are we going to get Frank to Jesus? And they come up with this great idea. Well, the crowds are too thick. How about we bring them up on the roof? I don't know why they're thinking that. Doesn't make any sense to me but they're like hey let's bring the dude up on the roof so they're working through the people they're persevering hear that they're persevering they're working through the people now getting a hundred pounds let's just say the guy weighs a hundred pounds getting a hundred pound guy up on a roof is a feat y'all so hear this I, my wife and I had an opportunity to go to Israel and they have all these replica homes of what homes were like during Jesus's time now some of the homes had no ladders going to the roof the roofs were all flat some of the homes had like stairs going up around. It, that would have been nice. Some of the homes had um, um, nothing. So ladders, stairs, and nothing. Let's take the middle ground, the ladder, okay? Let's just say there's a ladder. Imagine trying to carry a 100-pound guy up a ladder, let's just say 10 feet. That's a difficult thing. The whole time, Frank is freaking out. Hey, guys, don't, no, I don't think we should go up on the roof, man. <laughs> Like, wait, what are you guys doing? One, two, right? Frank had to be going crazy. Hey, I have a friend. He um, got in a motorcycle accident, and he was paralyzed from here down. And this helps me understand Frank a little bit more. He just hit his leg on his wheelchair, and he broke his femur, okay? When our bodies are atrophied so much from, from um, being paralyzed... It's easy to break bones because you're not working them. There's no conditioning on them, right? There's no muscle to protect them. Frank had to be thinking that. Like, hey guys, I don't know if this is safe. And what is he going to do though? <laughs> Stop! <laughs> right? He ain't doing nothing. The friends though persevered. And that's the second thing I pull out of this relationship. If we want to be faithful friends, we're going to persevere. We're not going to let the crowd stop us. We're not going to let the height stop us. We're going to persevere as friends. But it gets even crazier. They get up on the roof, the text says. This is where it gets all crazy. And they're like, all right, now we've got to like brainstorm. So they probably get in a football huddle because it's football weekend. And they're like, they're doing diagrams maybe. Who knows? X's and O's type stuff. Then they're like, you know what? Let's just rip a hole in the roof. 
Let's get barbaric about it. So they start ripping tiles up. You know Frank is thinking to himself, hey guys, what, is, what are you doing? Wait, uh, holes, guys? What's, what's a hole going to do? What, am I going to yell down to Jesus? They start ripping holes in the roof. All this is going on. Jesus is inside. Woo-hoo. Teaching to these religious leaders, these people who are highly revered in the community, and the owner of the home. (laughs) Now, the text doesn't say this, but we can make some huge assumptions here. Let's just imagine you're watching the Super Bowl, and all of a sudden you hear, like, stomp, stomple, 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 some arguing, and all of a sudden you hear, like, ripping, you're like, wait, what's going on? What is this? And then you see some, like, dirt falling from the ceiling. Like, shh. You're going to freak out. You're going to run outside and say, get off my roof. What are you doing up there? Imagine four guys and a paralyzed guy up on the roof ripping a hole in your roof. You know the owner's freaking out. You know he's saying, stop. Stop it. What are you guys doing? Hey, what's going on up there? And, well, the whole time, the religious leaders are probably like, well, this is so interesting. And Jesus is laughing, like, this is good. This is good. I know what's going to happen. And Frank is freaking out. He's up on top. He's like, oh, guys, what is the hole for? Guys, tell me what the hole is for. This is all going on. And then they get a big enough hole. They start reaching through. Imagine, like, the owner and everyone inside, they see, like, a hand come through, like, a hole. And they, like, rip a thing back. The owner's screaming, going off. Jesus is laughing. All the religious leaders are like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, like, whoop! You see a giant eyeball, jump, Jesus is inside. And then they all start ripping even more. I mean, this is crazy. And two verses, all this. <laughs> then they rip a big enough hole. And Frank is like, hey, guys, who's in there? And, oh, Jesus and all like the, you know, the leaders of the community. No big deal. And Frank's like, hey, why is the hole big enough for me to fit in? And they grab Frank, and they kind of start bringing him over to the hole, and they start to lower him, and the text says this. It says, they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. I want to pull one more thing out of this. You know the owner was thinking, just like all you would be thinking, if some dude just ripped a hole in my roof... I'd be saying, boy, you're going to pay for that. The guys knew that. The guys knew that the damage that they were causing to the house, they were probably going to have to pay for. It's not a big community back then. It's not like it was millions of people. We're talking maybe a few thousand people in this whole town. Probably less. He knew who they were. But this is the thing. They were loyal to their friend. You know what? They were more loyal to their friend than they were their bank account or the money that they had. And that's super important, y'all. If you want to have a, be a faithful friend, you have to be loyal to them. More so than other things. And they're lowering him down in front of Jesus. And this is where it gets good. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man. Seeing whose faith? Whose faith? Their faith is plural, so that means more than just the man. Whose faith? The guys. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, well, this is good. Your sins are forgiven. I want to speak to the Christians in the crowd right now, all those who 
have confessed that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, fully human, fully God, been baptized, take communion. This is our goal. This is what we're called to do, the Great Commission. A true faithful friend is ushering his friends from the mat to the feet of Jesus. A faithful friend is bringing them from here to here. But the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Exactly. This is an example of Jesus claiming to be God, but not actually claiming to be God. Do you guys follow that? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say, say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I love that. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up picked up his mat and went home praising God. You see, when an individual moves from the mat to the feet of Jesus, not only are they physically and emotionally healed, but their sins, their sins, what they've done are forgiven. And that's why it's the Great Commission. That's why God calls us to usher people from the mat to the feet of Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, it's difficult to do that sometimes. It's super difficult. But if we are present, if we speak truth, if we encourage, if we commit to our friends in a faithful way, if we are brave, if we are loyal, and if we persevere, it becomes natural to usher our friends from the mat to the feet of Jesus. May we all be faithful friends seeking the feet of Jesus. Amen. Amen. That was a good word, yeah, today. Some of us really needed to hear that one. Can we bow our heads and pray? Lord, we just thank you, Father God, for, um, for that word, for your word, for the examples of, of lives and recorded history here in the, in the word of God that were changed because of you and because of your followers. Lord, may we be those type of friends that would be so concerned with the welfare and the well-being, the love and the protection of other people, God, that we would do whatever it takes to get people from the mat, from their problems, from the situations, from, from where they're at, straight to your feet, Lord. That's what we're put on this earth here to do. And Lord, I would, I would guess that right now there may be even some people here today as we're praying. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're, you're someone that's never actually made the commitment to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ in the first place and you realize that there's a lot of importance in being a good friend but you got to know that we can only be those kind of friends when we understand that we have the greatest friend that he offered us friendship 
that the mighty living God sent his son to become man, to come down to relate to us so that we, we could understand him, he could understand us, and he could offer a relationship, a friendship. There's a place in John 15 where he says, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends because I've told you everything about me because we're in relationship because I love you and I'm here to bless you. And the thing about Jesus is this. He doesn't want to just fix your problem. He wants to forgive your sins. That's bigger. That's deeper. That's eternal. That's more than the temporal, physical stuff of this life. We're talking eternity and destiny and big stuff here. And God wants to know you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your Lord, your Savior, your healer, your King. And he wants to be your friend. And so for us to go out and to hope to have any effect in this world and, and being a good friend, we need to first understand the friendship that's been offered to us, the salvation, the, the, the forgiveness and the healing of our lives that only Jesus can offer. And so if you're someone here today as we're praying right now that you're ready to take that first step of a, a covenant, Pastor Nick talked about that covenant relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd love to lead you in a prayer right now. It's simple. It's a simple prayer, but it's got incredibly deep significance, and it's the start of a lifelong, an eternity-long relationship with God who wants the best for you in life. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now, just setting things in order with God. This is going to be the first step in building this friendship and this relationship with Him. You've been waiting for this moment for you. Some of you, you've, you've put it off for a while, but you just know in your heart, today's the day, it's time. It's time I made things right with him and allowed him to, to do everything he needs to in my life. And I surrender myself and from here on out, I trust him. So we're gonna pray that prayer. This is how we're gonna pray it. I'm gonna pray the words out loud for you and with you. I'm gonna ask you to join along just in your heart, under your breath, not out loud in front of all of these people. I think you have to believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, but I really believe that first step is your heart is all in. After service, you can go and talk about it. You can let people know, hey, I prayed that. I'm a Christian now. People are going to be excited for you. But first step, we're going to take care of the heart issue right now. And so as I lead you in this prayer, you make this your prayer to God in your heart. But before I pray it, I just want to know who I get the privilege of praying with this morning. So here's what I'm going to do before we pray is I'm going to count to three. Real plain and simple. When I say three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand just so you can have accountability. Let me know that we're going to pray together. Then we'll go ahead and pray and God's going to get to work in your life. So on the count of three, if that's you, you want to join me in the prayer, would you raise your hand? One, two, three. Would you hold your hands up so I can see them? I see one, I see two, three, four. I see you, five, six. I'm looking around. Is there anybody else? Seven, someone over here. Looking around, I saw about seven, maybe eight people, maybe seven or eight people. Go ahead and put your hands down and just make this the prayer of your heart. God judges us on our hearts. He knows what's going on right now, and this is good. He's excited, but here we go. God, I'm here today, and I understand that I need you, that life is more than what I see and what I've been making out of my life. There's, there's definitely more to life than this, and I understand, Father God, I want, I want all the things that Pastor Nick talked about this morning to be a good friend, but I need some help. I need to realize that you are the perfect example, the perfect model of what friendship is all about. That there's no greater sacrifices, no greater deed that you could do than to lay your life down for your friends. And Jesus, that's what you've done for us. And so here today, God, I'm accepting you as my Lord and Savior, my King and my friend. I believe in my heart that you actually came to this earth about 2,000 years ago. You walked the planet teaching us how to have relationship with God the Father. And then you did the unthinkable. You went to the cross to pay the price 
for a crime that you never committed, that you were without sin, that you were perfect, but you went to that cross for me, Jesus, and everyone else that would believe in you, that it was our sins, our wrongdoing, our separation from God that you went to the cross for, that you paid the price for so that we wouldn't have to have eternity in hell separated from this God that created us to love us, to have relationship with us. So Lord, we're telling you right now that we believe what you did was true. We receive the gift that was paid, the free gift of eternity and salvation that came about because of Jesus' death on the cross. But Lord, not only do we believe that and receive that, we also believe that you did something that only you could do, the Son of God, that you actually overcame death on the third day, Sunday morning. You rose up, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating the shame, the guilt, the issues, the baggage, all the stuff that we hold on to, our past, our guilt, all of that. Lord, that you overcame all of that so that we could be free, that we could be forgiven, that we could be healed. So Lord, we receive that salvation that you gave for us. And Lord, from here on out, we're going to live it everyone, every day of our lives on into eternity with you. There's nothing magical about a one-time prayer. This is a new relationship, a friendship that is forming here today, God, and we're going to do our part in surrendering our old life and following you from here on out as our God, as our Father, as our leader. So we thank you for what you've done for us, Lord. We promise to go to church, to stay involved with the family of God, to be about your business, to read our Bible, to know you more, to pray, to talk to you and allow you to speak to us, Lord, to be water baptized, to symbolize what you've done in, in creating a new creation in us. We're dying to ourselves. We're a new creation from here on out. Lord, we receive all the power of your Holy Spirit because we need all the help that we can get. We cannot live the best life possible without your help and your presence in our lives. So we receive that as well. Lord, bottom line is we're saying yes to you with our lives, with our hearts from here on out. You are our God. We love you. We thank you for accepting us into your kingdom for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we praise God for those people right now? Amen. Awesome.